This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to another episode of Infants on Thrones. My name is Tom Perry. So for today's episode, I'm joined with Heather and Randy, and it was good to catch up with them. We haven't, the three of us haven't gotten around and spoken in quite some time, so that was fun. And today we talk about some of the current events within Mormonism. Well, or should I say the current events in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saintsism? But one of the main reasons why we got back together to talk was because we wanted to talk a little bit more about the reversal on the November 2015 policy and some of the newer developments or some of the things that came to light, especially um, coming after the Greg Prince interview on the Salt Lake Tribune's podcast called Mormonland. And we talk a little bit about that, gets even Randy's take on the policy reversal and uh, yeah, that's that's about it for the introduction. So, um, hope you guys enjoy it. You guys ready to beat this dead horse a little more? The gay dead horse, the Mormon gay, the Mormon gay dead horse. Yeah, I was wondering if we should talk about this like uh, kid who came out in his uh, commencement. Um, valedictorian of the political science department at BYU. Did you see that? I I saw yep. the headlines, but I didn't watch the watch or listen to it. Is it pretty good? I, I listened to it. Yeah. I would like to begin by saying congratulations. Congratulations to each of you for making it here, for pushing through an incredibly difficult, rigorous, and impressive degree at BYU. Congratulations to those who seriously consider dropping out but who stuck with it. Congratulations to those who tackled the challenge of bearing and raising a child while studying. Congrats to those who were insane enough to get married mid-semester and still somehow survive. And congrats to those of us who are still single and who have made it through four years of jokes about when are we going to get married. Congratulations to those who at some point felt alone or afraid or uncertain while here. To those of us who have struggled with our faith, and to those who have strengthened it, congratulations to my siblings of color, my LGBTQ friends. That's right, that's right. To students who are walking with mental illness, to all those who constantly have stood in the face of adversity to make our campus better for future generations. You are seen, you are loved, and today you are here to celebrate in the course of our time at BYU, we have witnessed historic events among these hallowed halls well worth celebrating. We have seen new buildings rise up, old policies change, a shift to two-hour church, and my personal favorite, the introduction of fully caffeinated Coca-Cola in the wilderness. <laughs> I'm sure that among each of these moments, you and your friends share your own memories that you are celebrating today and will cherish forever. For me, I'm here to celebrate a few of my own personal victories. The first happened my freshman year. It was a warm September morning, and I was walking to my class when I felt a mysterious person pull me to the ground and knock the wind right out of me. Perplexed at who would do kind of a rude thing, 
I looked up to see not a student running away, but a deer. <laughs> yes, actually hit by a deer. <laughs> it wasn't long before this was on the campus Snapchat story and I affectionately became known as the deer boy. Resulting from this incident was a popular universe article, a few memes, and even a hernia surgery. Yes, the deer literally knocked the guts out of me. Today, I would like to tell that deer that it did not get the best of me. I'm still here, and I'm still hungry for venison. <laughs> now, my second victory is not mine alone, but that of my family, and especially my mother. Three years ago, I was on campus when I received a call that would forever change my life. My parents informed me that my mom had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I had no idea how quickly the world could turn upside down, how instantaneously my perspective could change. I learned better how to cherish and who to cherish. Now I'm proud to say that my mom is here in this audience today. We don't know what awaits us or her, but we are learning to celebrate the time we do have left. It is a daily victory to have my mom here to remember what really matters. In the Book of Mormon, Enos is described as having his soul hunger of crying out to the Lord in mighty prayer and supplication. As I'm sure many of you have felt, I recall countless times here at the Y where I have battled and fought in prayer with my Maker. It was in these quiet moments of pain and confusion that I felt another triumph. That of coming to terms, not with who I thought I should be, but who the Lord has made me to be. As such, I stand before my family, friends, and graduating class today to say that I am proud to be a gay son of God. Thank you to my parents, to my friends, and my mentors here at BYU who have offered support and helped me remember my divine potential here on this earth. Four years ago, it would have been impossible for me to imagine that I would come out to my entire college. It is a phenomenal feeling, and it is a victory for me in and of itself. Perhaps there are those of you here today who are afraid or uncertain about how to deal with the unique challenges that you face. I hope that my stories can serve as a reminder that BYU has given us the foundation to face difficult problems, both secular and spiritual, and that, in the Lord, all things are possible. As I conclude here today, I ask you all to consider, what are you here to celebrate? What are your victories the world needs to know? I can promise that your story is important and your place in this world invaluable. Remember this. As I look around the Marriott Center, I am overwhelmed by the sense of greatness that each of you exude. Among us are future doctors, lawyers, teachers, and leaders, mothers and fathers and dreamers and doers, people who will change the world. Perhaps, even more importantly, are the people who will change each other and the people who will change themselves. The atonement of Jesus Christ is perfect and everlasting. And through our Savior, we too can become perfect. No matter our trials, no matter our triumphs, we are here today to become the better version of ourselves. And as we leave our campus for the last time today, may we continue on our path to victory. 
and ultimately we will succeed. Behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. What could be better to celebrate? Thank you. It was nice. It was like surprisingly less controversial. Like nobody got up and walked out or stopped him from speaking. Like the little girl who came out in Sacrament. Oh yeah. Well, that's a big that's a big difference, though. Um, He he was very. I mean, he's valedictorian, so obviously he's very smart. uh, And she was stupid. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) She's (laughs) twelve. Getting back to the this guy's, uh, it, it was a really short speech, and I think uh, that was on purpose. I don't know how long are valedictorian speeches, Heather, since you've given them. I have never gone to BYU. I have no idea how long these speeches are. <laughs> it was it was like it was like five minutes or less, um, so it was pretty pretty quick. Um, he he, you know, made it a very personable, likable um, speech because he, he told the story of getting run over by a deer while he was on campus, mm-hmm. um, everything was couched in, in like faith promotion, faith promotion, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was very non-threatening. I thought it was a really, it was like the only way you could do it in that forum, um, mm-hmm. to be, to be effective. Uh, so I, I thought it was a really, it, I mean, it was, if you've watched it, you can see why there wasn't, um, any outrage or people walking out. Mm-hmm. Where I think the the twelve year old girls' talk was a little bit more confrontational, a little bit more provocative. I don't know that it was that much more provocative. I I think they said sort of similar things. I think the times have changed a little bit. That's yeah, possible. Uh, did you notice the there was a, a contingent like cheered him when he says, "I am a proud LG or uh, right, what, not LGBT, but a proud, proud gay. gay son of God. Yeah, I think it was even the people holding the uh, cell phones. He may have tipped them off of what was going on, so they were delighted to hear it and happy to record it. Maybe I do hope that the times are changing to be more accepting. I really do. Yeah, um, and then there are protests on BYU campus over the honor code. That made national news, too, even though it's like a couple hundred people saying enough is enough with this whole honor code thing. The conversation exploded on Instagram this week after hundreds of BYU students and former students shared anonymous complaints about the honor code office. The woman behind that Instagram account is recent BYU graduate Sydney Dawn. I love BYU. I love, love, love BYU. The honor code has to change. BYU's honor code is strictly enforced, but this week, hundreds of Instagram users say the school goes too far, some anonymously claiming on Dawn's honor code story account that they were kicked out of the university for quote mistakes some claiming they were asked to perform community service for drinking alcohol and that confidential clergy confessions were shared with the honor code office the university has not responded to those allegations but its website says the honor code office does not take reports from bishops concerning members of his ward this privileged relationship is protected my experience at BYU has been really great. Jordan Black is a current BYU student and follows the Honor Code Stories account. He says he believes his school punishes people unduly for being honest about their infractions instead of helping them. The church is preaching forgiveness and that we move on from our mistakes and yet 
uh, the institution of BYU doesn't really reflect that sometimes. Now there's a change.org petition that before this story aired had nearly 5,000 signatures asking BYU's administration to update the honor code and reform the way it's enforced. Don says she's also gotten pushback from students at the school. A lot of people have already DM'd me and said you signed it and all of these people that you posted about signed it so you need to get over it. But I don't think that that's a good enough excuse. Brigham Young University did not respond to my request for an interview on this story, but we do welcome the opportunity to sit down with them. Reporting in Provo, Andrew Reeser, ABC4 News. I have to say, I just finished doing this book club, and it was about Stalinist Russia and the uh, culture of informing on one's neighbors was very reminiscent from, of what I've heard of for the Honor Code um, culture in uh, BYU. Oh, yeah, the watchdog culture, right? You, mm-hmm. <laughs> start, it started with uh, President Wilkinson's Gestapo in the 60s. <laughs> oh, do you guys not know that part? No. 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 Yeah, you know, remember, it was kind of the – it was during the Cold War, communist scare. Mm-hmm. Wilkinson, Wilkinson was a particularly – was particularly an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a team of students that would go around – at like the Gestapo turning people in if they saw any honor code violations. Well, now it's just like your roommates, your anybody who wants your housing. Um, <laughs> ex- actually, they're talking about the honor code violations. Like people were sexually assaulting women and threatening them that they would turn them into the honor code, whatever it is. What What is it? The honor code yeah. Office, something yeah. or other. Yeah. yeah. What's it called? Honor code but, office, yeah. Right, honor, right. Honor, yeah. Ho- holding that over their heads and, and to keep them from, to keep them silenced, to keep them giving them sexual favors. I mean, they, they were leveraging the honor code against victims of sexual abuse. Yeah, because the honor code would still uh, somewhat victimize um, women that were assaulted or whatever right because, and it's he said she said yeah you can say well, you better not say anything or i'm going to tell him it was you yep and it's it's a very ugly thing and then there, it opens the door to the other scandals with the byu police and them not reporting or getting additional information shaking hands with provo police and it gets a little sticky there i know that ryan and ethan from the truth and transparency they've reported pretty heavily on the problems that come out with not reporting or kind of reporting on things that they shouldn't be reporting on and yada 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 it's kind of an ugly mm-hmm. deal interesting well did did you um either of you have a chance to listen to this um interview with greg prince yes on mormon land i listened to it twice yeah i i thought it was i i learned some things from it i don't know how much he wasn't even wanting to be nailed down on some of the specifics because i don't think he knows firsthand he knows second and third hand right but there were some things that um really were new to me this idea that one of the 12 not knowing whom but i mean who if you had to guess who would you guess like nelson would you say oh, Oaks? It's got to be one of those two, right? I mean, I suppose it could be Bednar, but yeah, I don't but, know. I don't. I really don't know who he's like. He has connections with. I'm not really sure. 
Well, he did mention that just a few months after the the policy was laid down, it was like January after it or February, uh, it was Nelson yeah. is the one that uh, clarified that it was not a policy, it was doctrine. It was revelation. Yeah. It was he revelation, the, yeah. The Lord revealed his will to his prophet, Thomas S. Monson. And that's what made me think it was Nelson too, because one of the 12 took the policy to president Monson and got him to sign off on it from whatever in whatever, you know, form of dementia that he was in at the time and then presented it to the quorum of the, I suppose it's really Q15, right? Quorum of the 15, the presidency plus the 12 right. for an up or down vote without discussion, which well, well before really that, strange. before that though, the, it didn't go through all the normal, apparently the church has this like incredibly complicated vetting uh, system with committees and, um, and departments that, that go through it. And it usually takes like sometimes years for these policies to even come. Yes. To the twelve, but they right. they bypassed all of that vetting process. Brought it, whoever this was, and I think it was Nelson, brought it to a dement. You know, someone suffering an end stage dementia got the, the and it was just up down vote. And Christofferson wasn't he that Thursday morning in Washington D.C. where Gregory Prince lives, having breakfast. Um. It was his brother. It, it, it's not. Um, Elder Christofferson. It was. Oh, it was his, an Elder Christofferson. It was his brother. Was his brother who had breakfast with Greg, Greg Prince. Um, so it was Tuesday. They had the vote. Thursday, um, the policy comes out. He talks to his brother about it a little bit and finds that out and says, "I only heard about this a couple of days ago at this meeting where it was presented for an up-down vote," and tells Greg Prince about it. But that's, yeah, that it, they totally bypassed the correlation committee. They did not run this through the, the PR, PR department of the church. They were completely caught off guard. And you can tell that by the like shabbily, hastily thrown together interview that they then did of Elder Christofferson. And you think of them just like presenting this big policy change just for a vote without discussion. It just seems crazy. And it also is like, you know, I, I talked to some friends about it and they're like, well, why didn't somebody say no? Why didn't anybody say, uh, no, let's discuss this later. I think it, maybe it, you know, it could have been presented as, as revelation. It, it sounds more like revelation that way, because like going through the bureaucracy and passing it through correlation and, and P the PR departments, uh, this is how we receive revelation. <laughs> no, it, it sounded so bureaucratic. This actually sounded more like what you would expect revelation to come down as the press, right. the, you know, the prophet of the church presents a policy and says, we're doing this right. Who's with me? Well, think about, you know, how it was presented there. It wasn't presented like, let's discuss this. It's presented, this is it. The prophet has signed on to it. Are you with us or are you against us? Right. That's, that's a lot of pressure, especially on the junior apostles. If, if the, you know, all the curmudgeons that are the senior apostles immediately raise their hand, yes, if you're like the 12th man on the totem pole, <laughs> not likely right. you're going to have the courage to say, wait a minute, hold down, slow, let's slow down and talk about this. I guess. I and, the, and the reason why I think that it is just rushed like this is because. The Supreme Court just barely came out with 
legalizing gay marriage across the country. And, and the brother right. panicked, I think. Right. I mean, had to take a strong stand. Go ahead, Tom. No, yeah, you're right. But I, but I also got the impression, and I could be wrong, you know, going back to, you know, referring this as like a politics. Is it possible that Nelson or whoever presented this on top of other policies or doctrinal changes or, you know, we got to sell this real estate in Florida. We got to get more cows over in this property or whatever. What if they just, it's not like Congress where they're tagging on all these are you bills. Sure? Are you yeah. sure? <laughs> I, but that's the thing is like, it in there. I don't the know. Policy change. So Paperclip bill. We're just going to consider <laughs> gays apostates and we're not going to baptize their kids all in favor. Okay, cool. Next, <laughs> next thing on the agenda. I, 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 it is. Kind of, I want to read the court transcript. I, <laughs> so I want to know what happened at so this meeting. Because it, I mean, it, from the moment it came out, it was apparent to everybody reading it just how offensive this was. And I think how could how could anybody in the twelve look at it and say this is going to fly under the radar? <laughs> this is not going to cause waves. I, I just can't believe that anyone would think not running this through the PR department and figuring out how to uh, roll this out was a good idea. That I don't know, because I part of me thinks that they're just so naive. They're like, it's going to be in the handbook of instructions. Not a lot of people are going to see this or even know it. Just our church leaders, just the people on the inside. So it's not going to be a big deal. I don't know. Yeah. No. That might be true. I also think, and he made a, uh, Greg Prince made a good point that not that many people were directly affected by this. It wasn't like there were so many um, gay married parents clamoring to have their children baptized. I mean, certainly there must be some, but it wasn't a big movement. Well, you know? yes and no. I mean, yeah, it didn't have that direct involvement, but it had waves of making people that are were already gay feeling lesser yet again. Or Oh, absolutely. So, I'm saying yeah. indirectly affected lots of people. Right, it indirectly right. affected me and my right. position with toward the church. Absolutely. But like the people who are directly affected he even said there weren't that many, if there had been as many excommunications for apostasy of members who were either living with or married to a person of the same gender, then we would have heard a lot more about it. But mm -hmm. actually, he said, you know, people were not enforcing it, even after it was made de facto apostasy, and they were supposed to absolutely convene a church court against them. Yeah, I have no I have no evidence or information to counteract that, so I have to assume he's probably right on that. So let me get this straight. This um, revelation from <clears throat> our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through living prophets and apostles revealed a policy that brought nothing but bad press, bad feelings, depression, criticism, and and virtually no bishop or stake president even acted on the policy in the three and a half years. I don't know and, that they, then, nobody even acted, but yeah. I, I said virtually. Okay. Um, according, <laughs> to Greg, according to Greg Prince, he, he, he said mm -hmm. basically there was maybe one or two uh, out there that he knew of. Or, mm -hmm. uh, so a policy that had no like practical effect. And then you get rid of it three and a half years later 
what was the purpose of that revelation? If that was revelation, either God is incompetent <laughs> or it's not revelation. <laughs> it's right. I think things. those are the two hard facts that members are really struggling to. It's a rock and a hard place. Like, which, which do you go with here? I think, I mean, you've got to, Nelson has got to take so much of the credit for what a complete debacle it is for doubling down on it. I thought it was also interesting that, um, Greg Prince said there were people in the quorums of the seventies loudly saying, don't worry about this. It's just a policy. They're going to change it. Yes, it's bad. This was a mistake. And that might be the reason why Nelson doubled down and said, no, the Lord revealed his will through his prophet, Thomas S. Monson. And that just painted them into such a corner. Yeah. I think anybody wears the blame for this, for the amount of cognitive dissonance that the members are experiencing right now, it's got to be President Nelson. Yeah. Uh, so, what, like, Nelson doubled down. What do you think made him renege? Because, I mean, he's at that point, he's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Uh, the policy's super unpopular. There's a There was a huge spike of resignation letters. The church was loud and clear. That doesn't mean that more people left the church. That just means more people were pissed off enough to do the annoying process of writing a resignation letter in protest. I mean, Um, but what? What do you? I mean, I just I'm asking you a question, Heather or Tom. What do you think was behind his decision to renege? Because it it really does look bad to just say take back after three and a half years. Right. I'm, I'm trying to look at like what is the church's advantage politically or socially for reneging. And yes, I mean, this was really terrible PR for them, but I, I've got to think that it was not just, you know, the 60,000 people or something that um, signed their resignation letters, but that it was the, however many more times that many people who stopped going to church or who stopped spreading the gospel, who stopped inviting their friends to church because this was so damning and so impossible for them to, get on board with this is this was a a rough one yeah and i think it must be the the looseness in the pews the empty seats yeah and i also think that there's there's evidence that the church got whether it's the number of resignations people leaving becoming inactive or even just the letters and the outcry or even just like the devastating effects in their immediate circles uh i think that seeped in and they're like, oh, crap, We, I really think that we need to weigh out the pros and cons on this one, and we may need to backpedal on this. This this one's mm-hmm. having a much, much bigger effect than we anticipated. We may have to take an L on this and backtrack and try to hope that everyone will forget about it in a week or two's time. <laughs> yeah, I've, heard, I've seen a lot of things from people who are very upset about the way that this policy reversal came out and who find the policy reversal itself offensive. Um, I think it's not even a step in the right direction. It's just a taking up a step, taking back a step from the wrong direction. You know, it's hard to say that it's even in the right direction because I mean, it, let's be clear this does not mean the church is trying to make a place for LGBTQ members. They're not offering them anything other than 
a life of lonely celibacy and secondhand citizenry in the church. I mean, even if they're not uh, excommunicated, they still get passed over for callings. I don't yeah. know that they're, they even have that policy that you can't be openly gay and work with the youth, but even if they don't have that policy, they're probably getting, you know, not being called to hold presidency callings and, and not being called on in church and not, you know, they're a second class citizen and the church, or, I mean, I think what it is, the homophobic men in power in the church, they just want the gay contingent to go away. They tried reparative therapy. They tried counseling them into forming heterosexual marriages. Now that it appears that homosexuality is actually an intractable problem, they just want them to go away. They don't want them in the pews spreading gay (laughs) <laughs> not that they think that homosexuality is necessarily catching, but coming out is catching. Closeted gay members are influenced. You think by a the, valedictorian to be what you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. The unabashed like self acceptance of openly gay couples going to liberal wards of guys coming out in uh, valedictorian speeches. The policy, as much as like this policy as much as said to the homosexual community don't bother coming anymore don't let the door hit you on the way out we don't want you here (laughs) the church is not interested in creating a place for homosexuals from anything that i've seen yeah you don't have to go home but you can't stay here right what they are interested in is the straight friends and family members of homosexual people still coming to church So they make enough token efforts at inclusion after they make these horrible strikes against the gay community to try to keep the straight friends and families from leaving. So after Prop 8, you see mormonsandgays.com. After the policy becomes so um, unpalatable to all of the friends and family members, not all friends and families, I'm sure there are some who loved it, but to so many people who love someone who is gay, then that policy has to be reversed. And it's not because they want LGBT people in the church. It's not even about them. It's just about trying to keep their straight friends going to church. Yeah, I I think that the church totally underestimated how widely accepted society is now as accepting of LGBT. Especially the younger generation. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like even the older generation is becoming more and more accepting faster and faster than even I would have anticipated. But the younger generation, mm-hmm. it's just naturally accepting. <laughs> it's right. just a snap and they, they accept it. And I don't think the church leaders, they anticipated the acceptance to be so widely spread as it is. They're like, whoa, you know, we're, we're not down with that, but right. you, you didn't uh, think, you don't think the octogenarians uh, <laughs> yeah. could, could see that coming? The, you would, th- uh, you would think if they had their pulse on Revelation, they could see that coming, but yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert, they don't. The, uh. the thing is, we have to remember how they how the spirit works. It's hard for me to even remember this now because I'm out of it for so long. But I, I think these guys truly believe, like, there are these old homophobic men who have a really icky feeling about gay, about homosexual sex. Right. And they, they believe that that icky feeling that they have is the spirit of God testifying to them that it's an abomination to him yeah. and that it's against his will and that they are justified in anything that they can do to keep people from having gay sex. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> so stupid. That, that's yeah. what made me. Okay, so I, I, I was like to the valedictorian. I'm, you know, I'm giving him my applause uh, on his speech. Thought it was really well done. But then, and I knew, he, I know he couldn't address it in that forum. In that, but now I got questions, brother. What now? <laughs> yeah, are you, you going to are you going to date men? Are you going to seek to get married to a man? Will right. they will they let you stay? What now? What? And uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I can imagine that uh, the general authorities that were there, you know, were putting on their best face, but were freaking out inside. Mm-hmm. Despite how how like innocuous his speech was. And here, oh, so here's what I think: him coming out in that commencement speech at BYU and the policy reversal actually does accomplish. I don't think it means that so many gay couples are going to go back to church and try to baptize their kids. I don't think that's what happens. But what I think what does happen is that so many friends and family members who take their cues from the way the church treats homosexuals will be kinder, more understanding, less condemnatory of the gay people in their lives. I I think that it can only be a good thing to have the church's policy reversed for the way that it affects people indirectly. Yeah. I yeah. hope that's true. From a practical standpoint, I think that's true. Uh, but I think the church loses a little bit because I've, it, you know, they're trying to gain um, more positive feedback from the outer world and, uh, but at the same time, they kind of lost face and credibility from the sheep within. Yeah. Um, but is it, I think but they is might it, cause more questioning. Like, well, these guys really don't know what they're doing. Actually, Glenn's, Glenn's uh, brother-in-law, uh, Greg, he's got a really funny, um, to me, uh, I've never heard a, a faith crisis story like this. His faith crisis was being called into the bishopric as the executive sec- secretary. Mm-hmm. And, and then sitting in the meetings and realizing these guys don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. special going Seeing on here. Sauces, and that's how his faith crisis started. Yeah. That's the way this whole thing of, of the, that Gregory Prince painted of how it went down. It's like these, you know, these guys don't know what the fuck they're doing. And, <laughs> and this was a, this was a ter- every move that they made from the beginning to rescinding it. It was just a bad move. Yeah. Yes. They lost at every step of the way. It's a good. It's a good window to see how the sausage is made, like you said. Uh, yeah, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you just like, okay, so yeah, these guys are bumbling idiots. Like, oh, I don't know, what do you think this time? I don't know, you know. And it's hard. It's hard to put that stamp of no, this is God's will, revelation on it. Um, a really good friend wow. of mine was. He's he's struggling with it too. He's like I. He's like I just have to keep having faith. <laughs> <laughs> each, each thread just keeps peeling away and you know i feel bad because i'm like the writing is on the wall but hey you know everybody has their journey <laughs> we have to we have to point out the gregory prince pointing out that this was not unprecedented with the church they, right. tried, they tried yeah. to ban oral sex at one point and then like a year and a half later they had to swallow it <laughs> he actually said that <laughs> no one laughed <laughs> Oh no! There were people listening that laughed. <laughs> just not. Did he just use not. the word "swallow" in that? I didn't yeah, notice the church, that. The churchy. No, he did not say that. 
Listen to it. He, uh, he actually kind of swallows the word swallow, actually. <laughs> Jeez. So it's, it's not really no, clear. Totally that. <laughs> uh, I did. I actually did look that up after hearing that because I, I was unaware that this letter had been sent out to all of the bishops and stake presidents. That and some of them read it at was, sacrament that, meeting. That oral <laughs> sex was, what, unnatural? I remember unnatural. And I don't remember there was a, an abomination, but so, something. Anyway, it was super bad. And the backlash was such that they got rid. They they reversed it in a year or a year and a half. So, <laughs> so a little mm. bit faster than this. That was even a bigger deal. People were like, "You're not taking that away." <laughs> well, I'm not sure anyone uh, doubled down on the oral sex. That uh, it was say, a revelation. That's revelation. Oh, yeah, dear. it might have just been a policy. Yeah, I don't remember reading that in the scriptures. <laughs> is it, even in the Old Testament, is there no reference to oral sex? The Old I Testament's got everything. I can't think of a single... No, I can't think of a scriptural reference to oral sex. Yeah. Maybe one of our listeners can correct us there, but I really, really <laughs> doubt it. You know what else there's not in the Bible? Masturbation. Uh, condemnation of abortion. There's actually promotion of abortion somewhere in there. I can't remember, but uh, there's a lot of ter- there's a lot of terrible things in the Bible. Yeah, I, well, oh, I don't and then know. things and then things that are now like you know modern Christian crusades, a single voter people about abortion, and there's nothing in the Bible about abortion. <laughs> Anyway, that was a that was a tangent. I had to go off. I'm sorry. All right, we had to go to abortion here. Couldn't we have kept it at oral sex? Everybody it was all fun and games until someone had to bring up abortion. Yeah, it's, I haven't done this in a while, and there's probably a reason. <laughs> uh, speaking of having done it in a while, I listened to. Um, so I heard that song, the Radiohead song "Creep," and then I was like, "Oh yeah, I did. I remember. You know, I made that." cutting in of that with a like children's choir singing it and the statements from the apostles. So I went back and I listened to that and I realized just how far, how long it's been since I have heard the sort of general conference voice and listened to what the apostles are saying. I just couldn't believe that anybody was saying those things out loud and in public, just listening to it. <laughs> and it was so jarring. It just seemed like from another era, from another world. And it really was just a few years ago. That's a big shift so, for you then. Yeah, because if, if, if it feels so alien or foreign to you now, wow. Right. It made me think, all right, either they're in a super silo where they don't realize how what crazy face they sound, or I am in a super silo that I don't realize that people are still, still saying such crazy face things and I never hear them because the algorithms that control what I see and listen to don't feed me that. So yeah, I think it's I don't the latter. I think it's the latter. Grown, grown further apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I haven't listened to conference a long time, but go ahead, Randy. Uh, so I wasn't part of the first, uh, your first discussion on this, but w- w- is it correct to say that they tried to frame it? Like, isn't it great that we have living prophets and that we can have this uh, revelation now. Oh yeah. The, the general conference was full of that. Oh, isn't it so wonderful. No, no. That general conference was, bef- church. well, the general conference was uh, before this, 
they rolled no, out. This was, this was before general conference, but it was um, during the meeting training, which is like the executive pre-conference meetings. And, they, and that's what it was like. So-and-so addressed uh, the leaders. And isn't so great that we have profits to roll out revelation like this. And it's just like, you can't frame it like that. This is a fuck up that you had to take back. You, you know, it, it's like, isn't it so great that we have revelation that can do something really terrible, but we can get rid of it in three and a half years. Hey, but they need pats on the back one way or another, dude. I mean, how, That's what how... pisses me off is they can't just eat it. They can't fucking <laughs> no, say we can't. fucked up. That's we're human. You know, they have to say, no, this was revelation three and a half years ago. And right now is revelation. Well, and they, mm-hmm. they, they don't even want to bring up the fact that it was revelation anymore. That I, yeah, I, that's why we talked about, you know, whether they could actually apologize. That's why they can't eat so it. So where are you on that, Tom? You still hoping it can happen? You still thinking they can take it? No, a, a, no. I was. The, oh, what do you think? I was. I, I was. I was re- in in the moment when you were talking about it. I was reluctantly accepting of your position. I don't think they are going to apologize. I am. You know, deep down, I'm optimistic that they could because I think that it would be so beneficial not just to them, but the members and everything. If they were in a position, they could apologize. It would be such it would be such a Christ like thing to do. And they could lead by example by apologizing. Right. But But what is the first law in heaven? Obey. Obedience. Obedience. And if they admit that this was a mistake and apologize. They undermine their absolute authority over the pulpit. <sighs> but they it under, it, the whole system breaks they down. They keep touting that their leaders are just men and they're fallible like everybody. So which is it? it well, they don't you know, want the, the, the members joke. to think that. The old <laughs> joke is that hope is infallible, but none of the members believe that. And in the Mormon church, the Prophet is supposed to be fallible, but none of the membership actually believe that. Yes, yes. prophet is perfect and infallible. And I think so. Here, the problem I see is the people who are calling for an apology are the ones who are mentally out of the church or completely out of the church. They're the ones who view the church as a corporation, Mm. and they don't recognize they don't remember that churches fundamentally differ from corporations and that as Randy was saying, they derive their authority from a claim to be led by an omniscient and infallible God. So, but, so pointing to like corporate apologies or, or pointing to like president Kennedy's apology, those are the wrong analogies. The correct one would be, you know, is there an instance in scripture where Christ apologizes apologizes for making a mistake or like takes responsibility for, harming innocence you know with his error that never happens like show me that in the scriptures fair enough but i think even gregory prince talked about the you know whether the church should or shouldn't apologize in that i'm not i'm saying they should i'm just saying they can't they can't (laughs) well i guess i do understand because they can't maintain their authority as a revelatory church and they believe it themselves. Like, remember, these are people who believe that they're receiving revelation from the Lord. They don't know why they got this wrong. They don't know why. Like, (laughs) uh, so friend of a friend was talking to Holland and he's like, I really want to know why we needed how this many rounds of revelation to come up with the new, um, whatever replaced the, uh, missionary discussions. Why did it take us so long? I don't know. That was the Lord's will. I mean, these people really believe that the 
different forms that the policies take and that um, is actually being revealed to them by God. Yeah, yeah, they're much more comfortable with saying, yeah, things in the past, mistakes were made, maybe. But what they don't <laughs> want, what they can't have, what they will not tolerate is going forward. They make a declaration and, and in the minds of the members, they're like, I don't know, maybe they're wrong this time. Maybe yeah. I don't have to follow that one. That is their nightmare. Yeah, because that plants a huge seed of doubt. Yeah, that, that's yep. very problematic. I agree. I mean, you know, I'm also coming from a background where I wanted so bad the church to apologize for the Mountain Meadows massacre, right? Oh so, yeah. So when they or the priesthood ban, yeah, or the priesthood <laughs> ban, yeah, or the ERA with women, or any number or polygamy. of things. polygamy. <laughs> the list is long. Or polyandry. <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I remember when they had that anniversary with the Mountain Meadows massacre, and it was a. Uh, what did you say? Crying? Elder Crying? Is that what you say, Randy? When he, <laughs> yeah. I, I played him once or twice. Yeah, which is great, by the way. But anyway, when he got up there and the closest thing he got to actually acknowledging responsibility or apologizing for the massacre is he said, we express profound regret that this happened or something along those lines. Cause I remember I, I highlighted those words. I'm like, that's the closest thing I've seen to the church apologizing for anything. And I just kind of <laughs> mm -hmm, held on mm -hmm. to that regret. And I profound mistakes regret. were made. Not by us. <laughs> that was a long time. And ago. won't be in the future. <laughs> but I, I also I, think this argument that it would be so great and people would love it. If the church owned their mistake and apologized for this like big, error what what really is the church's incentive to do that they have very low incentives to placate those who are already disaffected and not coming back i don't think they really believe that they're gonna fill the pews back up with the people who have left i they're think not, they just want to staunch the bleeding they, yeah i agree but they're not going to get people back in the pews one way or another this i just feel like if you want to be a charitable organization that represents a sort of a Christ-like, and, and I mean, we're talking about the repentance process. This is something that they have in all their handbooks and in the missionary thing, repentance process. Hey, church, why not lead by example with that repentance process? But, you know, apologize. this is the Glenn kingdom. actually made a good point there, and I know this doesn't happen often, but he's like, Christ <laughs> didn't repent, and that's it, right? If Jesus is leading the church and he's the one who's issuing these revelations, yeah, yeah. then he does. He has no cause to repent because he is he is perfect. I know, and th that's where I relent, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, Heather. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. This is the kingdom of God on earth, the true and living church. It's not a human being. They're not. They're not subjected to the same, you know, <laughs> rules of the proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's filtered. The will of God is filtered through fallible human beings. So, right? I mean, because that's why there's so many errors in... <laughs> when it's convenient, they use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When it's not, they don't. Exactly. Did you guys... So, when you found out about this, what was your response? What was your reaction? Because this was... I remember listening to your reactions in the wee hours right after the policy came out, and they were strong and... Did, what was your reaction to the policy reversal? What were your first thoughts? Do you recall? Meh. <laughs> Meh. Yeah, I asked Randy if, if it was anything stronger than an eye roll, and he's like, nah, it's an eye roll. Yeah? 
even the fact that they don't apologize, this this uh, this seems to bother you more. Oh, am, am I surprised that a scorpion stings? No, I mean, was I surprised they didn't apologize? <laughs> what are you kidding? <laughs> we we do not. I mean, does, has everyone forgot what Oak said? Right, we, it was recorded. The business of apologizing. <laughs> no, the the reason my 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 response was a little bit different because I felt for all the people all the pain that had happened, and I felt like it too little, too late. I mean, I I'm, I am glad that they, you know, like you said, they're trying to stop the bleeding. I guess there's a lot of pain in those three years. That's a lot. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of pain. And I, there's and I, a lot. I don't want to diminish the pain in what I'm about to say, but it's like there, there, there wasn't even a problem. Okay, there, it, there were there were a bunch of gay couples clamoring to get their kids blessed and baptized. There was nothing there. It was more of a fuck you gays. We don't want you exactly. anywhere near our church. So when they, you know, I was I was pissed off when that policy happened because I knew that there was going to be so many vulnerable young gay people that were going to be traumatized by it, and and they were. Um, I, I think there was a spike in suicides in that time. Yes, there was. Um, yeah, yeah, you're the expert on that um, in Utah. Um, but then when they take it back, it's just like, of course, <laughs> you know. And I just don't care anymore. I just don't care that much about the church anymore. I can't. I can't do anything about them. I can't change them. So the, I pretty much just don't think about it that much. Yeah, I think. I mean, some people are really, really hurt by this, by the fact that the policy was reversed without explanation, without apology, still claiming to be revelatory and and find this extraordinarily offensive. And to me, I I felt the same way. I I feel like it's the like the Orpheus uh, myth where he like hope is taking him down to the underworld and then there's a sign that says, abandon hope, all you who enter here. And then he puts rid of hope. <laughs> I feel like that's the only way to have equanimity. Abandon hope. You cannot be, <laughs> I can no longer even be hurt by what the church does because my expectations are so low that they can't possibly disappoint me. Do you guys, I'm going to ask you to speculate because there's no way for us to know. Um, but do you think it's possible that um, this could be the straw that breaks the camp, the shelf, or the. I mix my metaphors. Good God, uh, the straw. The straw. The <laughs> let's 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 make like a tree and split. Uh, How many babies are in this bathwater? <laughs> oh, uh, but do you think that this could be something that like is the is the the catalyst for people out there to have a faith crisis, or do you think it's not not significant enough? The reversal. Yeah, like questioning, like, well, these guys, th- this can't be revelation. One of the two is not a revelation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, maybe, and then, and then that starts them questioning. Well, yeah. maybe this is just a a man made organization. I definitely, yeah. yeah, I definitely think that there's a few people that got a few more books on their shelf that started to crack mm-hmm. it a little bit. Definitely. That's why I thought it was like, the, you know, the, if <clears throat> if they hadn't reversed it, I think. It, from a practical standpoint, if you're trying to retain members, if that's your goal, that it, it, they might have done even more damage reversing it than just letting it go, because no one was doing it. I mean, there's if according to Gregory Prince, hardly any bishops, uh, state presidents, even knew how to do it. And there's no one, there's no gay couples going to church with a baby wanting to get blessed. But the thing is, 
people, lots of people have incentives to stay in the church or keep going, even if they are not a hundred percent sure that it's true. Even if their faith is weak, they can doubt their doubts and keep going. But if they are really disgusted with and can't countenance the way that the church is treating other people, then sometimes they feel like, you know, that that's an even greater, I think for a lot of people incentive to leave. So on a net, you, I, think, I you think, you think it's keeping, it would be it reversing it. The goodwill would keep more people in than cause faith, faith crisis to those that are already in. I think that's the gamble they had to take. And I'm my, my guess is that in the very early aftermath, they were thinking, all right, we knew this was going to be unpopular. This will blow over. And then, you know, a month or two after when it really started to hit the fan, they thought, Oh my gosh, what have we done? And probably, you know, six months after that, they began this discussion of, how can we possibly take this back? Yeah. We can't, can we? I mean, Nelson called our revelation. How do we do this? Can we possibly get, what, what can we do here? They could go with the angle of like, okay, so instituting the policy, that's when we were acting like, man, we were a little freaked out by the Supreme Court decision. We reacted without consulting the Lord. Now <gasps> this is the Lord telling us, no, you're wrong. Ooh, interesting. Uh, we took wow. more time this time. We we thought about it. We we consulted with the with the savior, uh, and uh, and we'll and now never we'll, do it again. We'll never do it on our own again. <laughs> I think we why, swear. Why we could, issue a rainbow. Why couldn't they just come out and say, you know, President Monson was suffering from you know stage whatever hey. dementia, and the the will of the Lord was. The filter there was a little clogged up. No, sorry. Oh, about that. what what was the quote? Because the Lord will not suffer His church to be led astray, there or He know. would like remove the prophet of the Lord of the church if He ever tried to lead the church astray. Right. That's also bedrock doctrine. <laughs> I'm not saying they aren't effed here. <laughs> They're in a tough position. This is a hard sell. My TBM cousin once uh, wrote me on a PM on Facebook talking about all the strides that the church has taken because she knew that the gay issue was was a big issue with me. And she's like trying to like look at how all these strides, isn't it wonderful? All the, you know, strides. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, Mormon church leading from behind for 150 <laughs> years. Yes. It's like the only reason that people in the church are more tolerant towards gay people is not because of the church. It's because of the the society that surrounds them, they and the church is the church is just reluctantly following behind. Yep. Yeah. the The only real hope I have, and especially you guys were talking about the valedictorian, I just my my heart just sinks when I continue to hear that there's you know gay members of the church. Like you guys are in an abusive relationship with this thing. I would really hope just for your own mental well-being and emotional well-being, you would just put distance between this organization and, and your life. You just can't, you just can't tell anyone that you just can't, you can't do it direct. But but that's what, that's the thing is like, even that valedictorian is as commendable as it was. It's like, man, just pull yourself out of that thing so you can be healthy, (laughs) be happy. That's, that's my only heart. I think, I actually think it'd be cool since he is obviously going to be a successful person, uh, barring some, you know, bad luck. 
from a five minute uh, speech, you've already said that he's going to be a successful person. Okay, it was valedict. He's valedictorian. Oh, okay. That's that. that was the stamp. Of <laughs> you know what that means, right? <laughs> he has like a rope on his robe or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, uh, he had the highest GPA out of like I don't know how many in a class. What ten thousand people? I don't. Yeah. Oh no, it's they do it by. Um, by school or department. So he was the valedictorian of the political science department. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So he wasn't that smart is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it was a real science. Uh, but, but you know, odds are he's going to go on to be a successful person, leadership material kind of person. I would love to see him get married to a man and just challenge it. Just go to church and see what they do. Start making out in the pews. What you going to do? Uh, what you going to do? Right? <laughs> That's not a bad idea because honestly, the only the way to get rid of the repulsion and the the aversion is by um, familiarity. More often. <laughs> familiarity, right? Experience. So that's what it will take. People gotta people gotta own it. I hope. That's what did it for me, man. Yeah. I kept running into like great men who were gay. Yeah. Kept going, what the fuck, man? I thought these guys were all a bunch of weirdos in San Francisco. <laughs> but they're everywhere. <laughs> it really is contagious. Stop sneezing on me, dude. Yeah. No, to- tolerance is contagious. Homosexuality is not. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly. Speaking, so I met somebody who knows of Infants on Thrones. Like I, I, I got recognized um, last night, the night before. Wow. Maybe this past weekend. Yeah, somebody who came up and was like, yeah, are you Heather Cry? I follow you on Facebook. And I was like, oh, great. How do you know? How did you hear about this? Like, well, I know Andrew Evans. And I he showed me the uh, interview that you did. Oh, cool. Of him on Instance on Thrones. So I was like, oh, that's great. How do you know Andrew? And he's like, well, I'm gay and I'm in D.C. We all know each other. <laughs> like, seriously? <laughs> Isn't that the stereotype that all gay, all gay men know each other? <laughs> Uh, and he just said it. <laughs> I loved it. That's awesome. Uh, so now we know it's true. I will say I'm not hurt by the church non apology. Like I, I really am apathetic about it. What does sadden me is to see people who have strong feelings one way or the other uh, fight each other and tell each other how they should feel about this. Like Absolutely. for some people, this was wonderful news and they yeah. were thrilled because maybe they're in a liberal ward where there were homosexual members and they're going to be welcomed back into church there. You know, they're thinking of the ways that this is indirectly going to improve the quality of life of gay people who have friends and family who are uh, believing LDS members. So they're focused on that. And then there are other people who are so offended and so insulted that it comes without an apology with no reparations, with no reinstatement of anybody who was ever excommunicated for apostasy, for being gay uh, in a gay um, relationship. And those two camps looking at each other and saying, well, no, you're all wrong. You know, people looking at it and saying, and feeling like this was a, a step in the right direction, looking at those who are angered by it and saying, well, buck up little camper. (laughs) <laughs> Why do you got to be so negative? Right. And the people on the other side saying, well, this is horrible. This isn't actually about LGBT rights at all. It's only to you know, placate the straight families. This is, a, this is an awful thing that the church is doing. Why are you even saying that there's anything good in there? You're not even, you know, they're too woke to celebrate. And <laughs> I think just, 
have to recognize that both of those reactions are valid. Yes. It's a great thing and it's not enough. Yes. It's a wonderful thing and it's way too little, way too late. And it's okay to feel whatever way about it and yeah. to hold conflict and to have feel have different feelings about it. And nobody's response to it is right. Right. I a hundred percent agree. It's like you can you can be, you know, happy that they're making a step forward and they're lessening the pain or they're stopping the hemorrhaging all the while still honoring and acknowledging the pain and the hurt that's been caused and will still continue forward. I mean, they still, even in that thing that we read that they still had to demonize gay sexual relationships. You yep. know, it's like they, they just can't help themselves. <laughs> they just have to assholes are going to asshole. <laughs> I, I thought it was also kind of trying to, to, to clarify the policy in case the liberal members were going to read into it and say, Oh, okay. See now the church is fine with homosexuality. I think they were trying to say, just to be clear, we still think it's gross and nasty. And heavenly father has a frowny face when he finds out that you're doing it. So, yep. Maybe, maybe it is legal in the United States, but it's never legal in God's kingdom. So that's right. Yeah. The abusive organization is now very, very slightly less abusive. It's something to celebrate. And it's also <laughs> something to uh, point out. <laughs> right. I mean, I think your advice, Tom, is right. Get out. Get out of the abusive relationship. And also for all those who are still super hurt by what the church does, abandon hope. They are not going to, they are not going to, they can do no better. This is the best that they can do. A scorpion's going to sting. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and honestly, I get as much as I love the whole, you know, you're loved for who you are. Being gay isn't a choice. You know, we want to accept you for who you are, who you love, no matter what. It gets old having to reiterate a message that just seems so riddled with common sense. Like if <laughs> you are who you are, you love who you love, and we're going to honor that. That's it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the fact that we have to reiterate that to people because of this psychological bullshit trauma thing that this organization or even other organizations that have homophobic rhetoric in it, it, it really just... I don't know. It really tires me that we have to continue mm -hmm. to fight this battle. You know, it's like, and I, I know that we've made such tremendous progress in the last 10 years. It's unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. Yes. And then the next five years, it'll be even faster. Ludicrous speed, dude. I mean, the acceptance is out there. It just, I feel like just isolate these homophobic organizations so that they can continue to restrict and constrict, 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 so that we can just let the people who are LGBTIA be themselves and be happy and healthy and live and just be like us, you know, every <laughs> equal opportunity, man. Why am I, mm -hmm. I just like, this seems no nonsensical to me. Like it's just, and maybe that's part of the thing, Heather. It's like, I've been so unplugged. That it, it's it's just like putting one foot in front of another now. Gay rights, it's you know women's right. rights. It's just it's a non sequitur. I don't even think about it anymore. It's, yeah, sure. I you're, was, so, you're so woke, Tom. He is woke now. He's he's way woke. So woke. I was remembering being taught in seminary 
that not only was homosexuality a choice, but the people chose it because they wanted attention. <laughs> wanted attention? <laughs> I put, and as stupid as that sounds, people say that about everything. I mean, people say that Anita Hill wanted attention. Yeah, people say that. that the uh, guys, Wade Robson, and I can't remember his name, in the Leaving Neverland um, documentary oh, that they Michael wanted Jackson's victims. Oh, are, wow. are there really people out there who are such masochists that they want attention so badly that they would focus this kind of horrific scrutiny on their lives? Or, or uh, is there anybody who would choose to be gay because they wanted attention when they live in an all Mormon 500 person cow town in Southern Utah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, I the think 12 year old who shot himself in my town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you I don't, don't think so. Don't underestimate human nature. I mean, sure. There's, you could find one person in the, in the world who pretended to be gay for attention, but th- that's not the point. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it, it's, Go ahead. Buddha, what is booty judges? Buddha checks. What did he say? If you could have sh- shown me in my twenties a part of my body where the gay resided, I would have like bodily cut it out of myself. Wow. People want attention. Uh, I, I I'm not buying it. Whenever people say they must just be doing it for attention. Well, that that's just a, a, a completely ridiculous um, state. It's like my it's like my stepmom saying that gay people turned to men because they had no luck with the ladies. It's just, it's (laughs) it's absolutely absurd. Or that they masturbated too much. (laughs) That's Spencer Kimball. Wow. Yeah. Even masturbating too much seems more plausible than the attention thing. I just can't imagine that the way that homosexuality or any kind of effeminate behavior was vilified, demonized, and uh, bullied in the town that I grew up in, there's no way that any sane person would have chosen to be gay. It's not a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you with the attention thing. I, I, I don't buy it for a second. The level of bravery and vulnerability that a person has to go through with what? This... That maybe they can get a fifteen minutes. <laughs> it seems mm-hmm. so ridiculous, but and it yeah. does seem so patently absurd to us now. And yet, people were taught that. I was taught that, and people believed it. I don't remember whether or not I actually believed it, but I know that others did. I know that the people teaching it to me believed it. I know. I believe. I I thought, and and I know this came from the church or whatever. That it was just a matter of people exploring deviant behavior and then getting mm. off on it. You know, it's like that. It's like what you were saying, like, oh, gay sex is icky. You know, it's freaking gross. Think about it for a second. Yeah, see, it's gross, right? That's why the Lord doesn't like it because it's gross. The spirit telling you it's gross. It's like, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't like that I had to unprogram that from my mind. It's like, and that's, that's why I'm, I'm really glad that my kids don't have to deal with that. My kids are so accepting. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to recognize that those same 
like prudish old men had an icky feeling about oral sex too. Didn't want to perform it, could live without it. <laughs> and, and had an icky feeling about it enough that they had to uh, issue a policy to all of their leaders that, that oral sex was unnatural and, and, ungodly but you know when they were writing it they're like okay but to receive it that's not so bad should we leave a little loophole that-, <laughs> <laughs> that can't be all that bad i mean given it's not that great oral sex is forbidden it. for women <laughs> <laughs> we, we but blowjobs they're we can, all right i think we can all agree that oral sex on women is unnatural <laughs> <laughs> and it's oh, icky <laughs> Oh, and should only per- be performed on men as the Lord intended. <laughs> <laughs> by women, so awesome. by women only. <laughs> by women only. Yeah, right. Don't get any ideas. Oh my God, we have really degraded. Yeah, went off the rails there a little bit. This is it, it has gotten very infants on thronesy in here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.